Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today, I'm excited to have Nate Bush from Bush Tax Company. Nate, how's it going? Very good. Great, great. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Hey, Nate, so we were going to go through uh, a hot topic in 2018 uh, that deals with the new tax laws and going through pass-through income and how it affects investors with 1031 exchanges and so on. Um, but I, I feel like uh, the majority of the listeners are sophisticated and have read through um, a lot of the tax laws are, are maybe savvy in those areas. So we were going to hit on, uh, for the listeners, two other areas with bonus depreciation and small business deductions. So, Nate, uh, this will be a little different than usual where I ask five questions. That's why we call it the multifamily five. And uh, basically, I'm just going to let you you talk through those two topics. And if we have any questions as we go along, I'll, I'll hit you with a question. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, for your listeners, there are two items that I wanted to discuss today that I think are going to affect uh, a great multitude of investors out there, those that have been in the game and those that are looking to get into the game. The first item I'd like to talk about is bonus depreciation. Now, before we get into bonus depreciation, what the actual benefit is, most investors out there have been through the song and dance of whether work that they do and expenditures that they incur for the rental properties should be capitalized or expensed as repair and maintenance. And without getting into those rules too much, a lot of it depends on whether the work you're doing improves the value of your rental property or just maintains its value. For purposes of this item, um, you know, we're going to focus on those costs that improve the value of the property and thus are called capital improvements. For capital improvements to properties, that too is divided into two categories. Improvements that are uh, improvements to the actual property itself. In other words, items that affect the structural integrity. We're thinking up about putting up new stud walls. We're thinking about new drywall, masonry work, uh, you know, possible roofing improvements, items that affect the bones of the property, things that are going to be closed up and, again, are part of that structural integrity. Those are real property improvements, right? The other improvements that this particular tax law change applies to are personal property improvements. These are improvements to your rental properties to items that are not a part of the structural integrity of the building. We're thinking about carpet replacements, new flooring, cheaper cabinetry, landscaping outside, items that we can argue can be easily identified and broken away from the property itself. Under these new rules, uh, real estate investors are going to be able to immediately deduct the full cost of those improvements in year one, as opposed to having to capitalize those items and depreciate them over 5, 10, 15, or 20 years under the old rules. That's a tremendous advantage because, again, it's full 100% depreciation in year one as opposed to having the cost of your improvements spread over many years. Anytime that we can line up an expenditure of cash flow with an actual tax deduction, it lines up you paying less tax when you're having to pay for these sorts of things. So again, I'm very excited about that deduction, and 
I think it's a huge plus for real estate investors that are looking to get rewarded for improving the value of their property. Great. The, uh, the, uh, the second item that I'd like to talk about a bit is the small business deduction that affects a lot of real estate investors across the country with the new tax code. This deduction affects households that have less than $315,000 uh, a lot differently than those that do. I'd like to talk just a little bit about households that have $315,000 of income if married or $157,500 of income if single. Uh, differently for a moment here. For those types of households, anybody that has a business, it can be service-based, real estate investment-based, flipping, anything, you name it. Those households starting in 2018 will simply not pay tax on 20 to 20% of their business income, which is a huge boom. So if you have somebody that has a $100,000 business each year, and normally they'd be paying 20% effective tax on that income, that's normally a $20,000 tax bill. Starting in 2018, they only paid 20% on $80,000 of income. That's a $4,000 savings from 2017 to 2018, all else being equal. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a huge, huge benefit for those with household income of $315,000 or, uh, or less if married, $157,500 or less if single. Um, something I'm very excited about. For households with income of greater than those amounts, if married or single, the rules get a bit more complicated. Um, I'll, I'll kind of, in the world of real estate, I'll divide these into three categories. Uh, let's look at the service-based categories of real estate investors. We're talking about folks who are real estate agents, brokers, uh, perhaps folks that are receiving assignment fees or bird-dogging fees, or do, just doing general consulting, if these service-based real estate investors make it greater than 315000 if married, half of that if single, there is just simply no deduction. There's no special 20% deduction on service-based income for those types of taxpayers. For rental property landlords with household incomes greater than those amounts, the deduction is going to be the lesser of 20% of your net rental real estate income, that's your rents minus holding costs minus depreciation, or 2.5% of your basis of your depreciable property. To put together a very simple, easy example for your listeners, we'll assume we have somebody of household income greater than 315,000 as a multi-unit building, for example. It's a net rental real estate income each year is $100,000. Uh, that is $100,000 of gross uh, rental income minus holding costs minus depreciation. Right? That's, uh, we compare that against 2.5% of its adjusted depreciable basis. To make things easy, let's say each year it depreciates $500,000 of depreciable basis. Right? So the deduction will be lesser of 20% of its net rental real estate income, or 2.5% of that depreciable basis. Well, 20% of 100,000 is 20,000, and 2.5% of 500,000 is roughly 120,000, or sorry, 12,000. The lesser of that would be 12,000. So the deduction in this example 
would be $12,000 for this rental real estate landlord that owns this multifamily property. For flippers, the deduction's a bit easier to calculate. It's basically the lesser of 20% of net flipping income or 25% of whatever wage that one would pay themselves from their flipping company. In an example where you have a flipper that makes on average 200000 a year, and let's say from their company or their corporation, they pay themselves a, a, a W-2 of 100000 you would take a deduction of lesser of 20% of their income, just 20% of 200000 that's forty grand, or 25% of whatever they put on a W-2 as salary to themselves, it's 25000 In this example, their deduction as a flipper would be $25,000. Um, so again, that's probably the best way I can explain that new deduction in the simplest terms possible. And truth be told, you know, the, uh, the full mechanics about this are so complex mm -hmm. that the best advice I can give your listeners is make sure that you're sitting down with a tax professional that can run through all the rules with your situation to make sure there's no hidden traps or turns that could affect them in the end. Great. Okay. And uh, Nate, I don't know if you can answer this question, but that same small business deduction, is it applicable for uh, pro, um, equity partners or, or passive investors into, let's say, uh, an apartment complex? Correct. It is. If it's corporate. Um, it's determined, it is determined on a per partner level. So this deduction is not looked at from the perspective of the partnership as a whole. Rather, each partner would look at this deduction from their own perspective. So your partners are probably familiar with receiving K-1s from their mm -hmm. partnership, mm -hmm. basically a 1099 from the partnership to them, telling them this is your share of the income. Their accountant would compute their own individual deduction based off of their own individual share of the partnership. So the deduction is definitely an individualistic deduction, completely independent of one's partner's or what anybody else's income may be within that partnership. Great. I just wanted to highlight that because many listeners are passive investors into deals uh, as well as active syndicators. Um, so, and I probably should have prefaced this, prefaced this and, and my apologies. Uh, Nate is obviously uh, a tax expert, CPA, business owner, and real estate investor. Um, and there was a blog recently, Nate has a blog and Nate, I'll let you, you uh, hit on your website here at the end and best way for listeners to contact you. But, uh, you had a great blog post about the common mistakes that you see um, business owners and real estate investors make. What would you say, just over the last few years of experience, what would you say is the most common uh, mistake that you see, you know, new investors, uh, but even seasoned investors making? Well, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is failure to choose good counsel. Um, I've seen a lot of accountants out there uh, try to fit a lot of investors in a one-size-fit-all type category where the same advice they may give to um, the couple down the street that own three rentals, they'll give to uh, the multifamily baron that owns uh, five or six complexes on the east side of town. Everybody is different. The strategies are different. Uh, everything needs to be custom-tailored to one specific situation because the tax laws are so complex. Prior to 2018, uh, the tax laws were complicated. And despite the Republicans' best efforts, you know, 
usually you'd expect the conservative side of folks to try to simplify the tax code. I feel that the changes they put in have actually complicated them even more. So the need to find somebody that is willing to go through the code, is willing to go through the laws to make sure that everything is being addressed, specific and custom tailored to one's needs, is even more important now than it has been ever. Um, so I see that as a big mistake that a lot of newbie investors make is um, they're not finding an expert that understands their world, does business in the world, fights the battles they fight in their own trenches, and understands what they go through in a day-in and day-out type ordeal. So, um, again, that's uh, that's a, the most common mistake I tend to see. That, that's interesting because that's the exact way how I found you or was referred to you because I was looking for a CPA that was uh, knowledgeable on subject to the existing mortgage-type transactions and navigating that. So, uh, great point. Uh, Nate, what's the best way for the listeners to reach out to you, either with a question or just to get more information about your business? The best way to reach us is by phone or email. Our office phone number is 614-600-3777. My direct email is nate at bushtax.com. That's N-A-T-E at B-U-S-C-H. TAX.com, and our website is just the same, bushtax.com. To find information on that blog that you mentioned and much more, your listeners are always welcome to reach out to us by website, phone, or email. Great. Nate, thank you for providing the listeners insight. I picked up a couple of different points from uh, the bonus depreciation, so thank you for that, uh, and I look forward to reconnecting soon. Always welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me.